He loves getting in the car, he gets in his little crate, he goes to sleep. He loves the services. He loves the services. <laughs> well, it's just covered in all sorts of wee, isn't it? I mean, probably some of it's like lorry driver wee as well. This week on Walking the Dog, I went out with comic Sarah Millican and her gorgeous rescue schnoodle. That's half schnauzer, half poodle, by the way, who goes by the genius name of Commander Tuvok. I had such a lovely day out with her and Tuvok, and I can honestly say it's the most fun I've ever had with an extendable lead and a Geordie. Her book, which is called How to Be Champion, I can only say that like Sarah Millican now, it's weird, is out right now, and I think you'll really love it. So do enjoy the podcast, and please remember to subscribe and rate and review on iTunes, because it's really useful to get feedback. And okay, maybe I'm a little needy and insecure. Does that sound okay? Well, they like it. Are we ready to go? Tuvok looks oh, like he's, he's definitely so ready to go. Well, there's a post that hasn't got any wee on it, so he's going to sort that out. He's on a really fancy extendable lead. Oh, yeah, I like the extenders, because we don't take him off the lead, so then he gets a bit of freedom. There he is. I really wish you could put, like, other people on extendable <laughs> leads. <laughs> That's what marriage is, really, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> it's an yeah. extendable lead. It is, isn't you it? You don't know you go far ahead, but I've still got a hold of you. <laughs> and sometimes the lead is semi-invisible. But then when you give it a yank... <laughs> yeah, they know it. <laughs> I should say... Well, that terrible. I've been so entertained already by you. I'm here with Sarah Millican. This is Walking the Dog. I'm Emily Dean. And um, it's a lovely sunny day. And we're in a lovely park area. I'm really glad it's sunny because it's often not sunny here. I know, I know. Is we would not? Might have been at, yeah, we might have been in raincoats. But and the dog hates the rain. He doesn't like the rain at all. He shakes in an attempt... And he sort of rolls over on his back to go, look how adorable I am. I don't need to go outside. And then I explain to him that he's full of wee and poo and we, <laughs> we have to sort that out. It's such a design flaw in a dog that, for, for a dog to not like going outside when it has to wee and poo outside. That's the one problem I found with dog ownership is this whole incontinence business. I mean, not <laughs> mine, the dogs, Oh, look, speak of the devil. <laughs> We've already started booing. That is early. That's that is an early, early. one. Thankfully, now, they're not huge. That was um, Sarah's dog, Tuvok, <laughs> Commander Tuvok. And I'm oh, sorry that you're meeting him so shortly after he's just <laughs> been to the bathroom. <laughs> that was an interesting technique he had. Oh, it does, yeah. I thought that's, you know, when you just think, oh, this is what dogs do, this is our first dog. Can I hold the lead while you put Oh, no, all right, I can, I'm sure? ambidextrous, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I love about Tuvok? He gets it all done at once. <laughs> yeah, he's ready to go home now. Is that OK? He's <laughs> a bit like me. Just, you know, like when you go shopping. Oh, I'm not down to wander around for ages. I just want to get stuff done and then go home. And of course, there's no bins anywhere nearby. I wonder if we can... Let's have a look. I'm not very... Oh, look, there's an ice cream truck. Oh, come on. It's too early for Do ice cream. Do you think it's too early? Oh, I've got an IBS, though. It's, oh. we'd be, we I might need another bag that. if we went to the ice cream I've got a limited amount of bags. <laughs> so, so talk me through... Oh, IBS. <laughs> I do want to discuss that with you after. Please That'll do. That'll be the late night podcast yeah. I do. <laughs> so talk me through the commander. Do you call him the commander? Do you call we call him, him Tuvok. Tuvok. So he, he's a rescue. Yeah. And he was already called Tuvok. And you can't, yeah, you can't change your dog's name apparently. You can change your cat's name because we've got a rescue cat and they, she'd been abandoned at the vets for a few months and they didn't know her name so they called her Tinkerbell. And we already had a cat chief Brody named after the character in Jaws. So we thought we can't have bloody Tinkerbell. It sounds so namby-pamby when you've got a police chief who's closed beaches and stuff. So we wanted a, a, a kind of military, or at least with a... With a um, he's having a lovely way on that post. We wanted at least something that had a rank 
So we ch we called her Lieutenant Ripley, and cats don't come to their their name anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. But with a yeah. dog, we had to keep his name. But we were really pleased because we've already got two kind of filmic names to have yeah. to have it. We got an email saying we think we've got a dog for you. We think that you might like. And, and where did you get to what from? From the Dogs Trust oh, in yeah. Manchester. Yeah. Because we just we well we wanted a rescue for sure. Should we head over that way? Shall we? Yeah. Don't really know where I'm going. Um, we wanted um, a rescue, and because my husband is allergic, we wanted a hypoallergenic. So we gave them a few breeds. We didn't want a big dog. We wanted an older dog rather than a puppy. Another wee. Oh no, I don't think that was a wee. I think he's just showing his winky to things oh. now. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> he runs out of wee and he just starts going. And here's my penis. And Sorry, I'm just not used to that kind of behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, seem yeah? fine with it. <laughs> Welcome to the north. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to comedy. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, true. So, so. Um, so they sent us an email with a photograph of what looked like a, like a medium-sized dog and said, we think he might be good for you. He's called Tuvok. And I woke Gary up and said, because I got it early, and I woke him up and I was like, isn't Tuvok from Star Trek? And Gary's a big Star Trek fan. And yeah. I think that earned me a few brownie points with Gary anyway. I should say, this is your partner. Uh, yes, husband. my husband. Like proper and everything. I'm going with yeah. your partner, David Furnish. <laughs> your husband, Gary Delaney, yes. who's a very successful comic and very brilliant comic. Indeed. And uh, Tuvok's dad. Yeah. And uh, so we went to see him and we hadn't realised how tiny he would be when, when we saw it, when we met him, because I forgot that the lady that was holding him in the photograph, come on this way, was... Um, was quite short herself <laughs> and he and they'd put he had a winter's coat on so he had like this proper like sort of like a bouncer's jacket on uh, so when he when he came out he was like this tiny little runty thing and we were like well i mean yes he's adorable but where is the other dog yeah uh, so and he came out and instantly was just a bundle of energy and the reason we had to get a dog anyway was because as gary pointed out he said you're quite needy so we need a needy pet because neither of the cats will sit on my knee they're not no. sitting on knees. Oh, no, don't, please don't rub yourself. Oh, did you just rub oh. yourself in that? What is that? I think that might be poo. Foxes something. Yeah, that looks a bit foxy oh, to me. No. Oh, well, really you might... attracted to fox feces. I know. He loves all, oh, look, look at him. <laughs> oh, oh. So Tuvok is doing, it's, I'm just going to say it's all gone a bit lap dancer, <laughs> what Tuvok's doing at the moment. I mean, people would charge by the hour for that kind of behaviour. What is that's a weird lap dancer club you've been to where they rub their head in shit. <laughs> I mean, I've not been to any, so I can't really judge, but Sarah, I thought it was London's much more changed. dancey than that. <laughs> London's changed. No, come on, Come on, no. Tuvok. See, I thought it'd be barking and everything. I thought that's the problem we'd Come on, Tuvok. But oh, now so, he's rubbing his face because he doesn't like having fox shit on it. <laughs> and now he's trying to chase some birds. He hasn't quite figured out that he'll never catch a bird because no. they can fly. They've got an easy escape route with the bird. <laughs> they really have. So, so um, that's interesting what Gary says about the... The needy thing. <laughs> yeah. So, because cats are, you know, famously much more self-sufficient, aren't they? Yeah, but the first cats I had a long time ago used to sit on your knee and they were quite happy. And these ones just don't. And it's, it's fine. They're adorable. They're really lovely. But they won't, they won't give me what I need. <laughs> so he's, so, so the dog is the best cat we've got <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> and they're much more, um, you know, when you first meet someone and you're doing your own PR and you're on your best behaviour. <laughs> Yeah. I think dogs are like that with you all the time. <laughs> I think what I like about having a dog, so many things, but is that he's the first person they talk to, person. Yeah. <laughs> he's a person to me. So when I bump into people, they're like, oh, and they look at the dog first. And I really like that. I like being secondary. And I think that's probably part of being recognisable and not being particularly good at being recognisable, uh, yeah. is that I like being the sort of afterthought. 
because the dog is more important, as, as he absolutely should be, because he I, is my child. I think that's so true, though, Sarah, actually. I've never thought about that, but I'm sure you strike me as quite a private and, mm. I wouldn't say shy, because of the job well, that you do. Well, I, not, think, I think I am, yeah. though. I'm not great. I was never, like, I don't go to parties, and I don't, I'm never, I've never been great in groups of people. That's why I make sure they're all sitting down and I'm standing up a bit further away from them <laughs> when I talk to them. And they don't get a chance to talk back. It's very important. So when your dream scenario socially would be just to walk into a dinner party, everyone sitting down. In rows. Yeah, yeah I don't want them round a table because that's too distracting. Some of them will have be pointed in the wrong direction. <laughs> My ideal party is a gig. <laughs> and would you so do you think you're an introvert? Um yeah, I don't know if I always was, but I think I am now for sure. Yeah, I think so. And I think having him, and also he's a nice, he dilutes things as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're going somewhere, you're not the main focal point if you've got a little, yeah. do- especially one that looks like a tiny old man, <laughs> which he does. And he's a, is he a schnauzer? He's a schnoodle. Schnoodle. Which is a, sh- a schnauzer and a poodle. But also what I like about that is it's a word that you can't say in fury. So um, <laughs> <laughs> somebody near us has a, has a kind of a scary dog and the scary dog sort of tried to attack Tuvok when we first got him and it was all a bit aggressive and horrible yeah. and the owner said to me what kind of dog is he anyway as if that had any kind of bearing on anything and I realised I couldn't say <laughs> schnoodle because I was so annoyed because it's schnoodle it sounds so lovely especially in my accent so I said he's bar schnauzer because it obviously sounds German and aggressive <laughs> so yes, see, that better. sounds frightening <laughs> schnauzer or if you would say excuse me he's a schnoodle <laughs> exactly it just doesn't sound scary at all <laughs> so but yeah so he's Part. Although I did notice the other day in the vets, they yeah. had a, not the vets, the groomer, sorry, they had a whiteboard with what all the dog breeds were of the ones that they'd had in that day. And I was a bit annoyed because they just had them down as a cross and I was like, excuse me, he's a schnoodle. He's a little more than a cross, I think exactly. you're fine. And then I, I mentioned it to Gary and Gary said, maybe it's just their temperament that they list. He's a bit cross. Because <laughs> he can be a little bit... I can't think you, they can't should you stop be a bit cross, and I think he's a super breed, is what he super, is. Yeah, well, we if call he was him a labradoodle, they wouldn't have put cross. No, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm really, I'm already quite attached to to uh, Tuvok, and I'm, I'm wondering if the owners called him that as well, the original owners, because he has got slightly Vulcan ears. Do you think that's he has, why? Yeah, and it's often one up and one down as well, which I really like. But yeah, he is a little bit. He does look a little bit like a Vulcan. And so did you have animals growing up, Sarah? Yeah, we mostly had like children animals, you know, like budgies and hamsters and rabbits and things like that. Um, We did have one dog, but not for very long because it was, it turns out it was inbred and it was incredibly vicious. We got it as a puppy and we had it about six weeks. Oh, I know, like posh people. It it went to, yeah, it went to, um, it went to some kind of farm in the sky or whatever it was. Yeah. (laughs) um, But it was, it was quite upsetting what happened though because I'm you went this to this is in South Shields wasn't yeah it? I went to yeah. a, a friend's house for like a sleepover and when I came back the dog had gone and the ball had gone and the lead had gone <laughs> and I think maybe my parents just didn't think I would go um <laughs> I mean I'm not I know I'm only eight but did did we have a dog yesterday um but yeah and it was for the best because it was really vicious and it used to sort of latch onto your heels with its teeth and just hang on and it was blood and it was awful right um, but I did also have another dog which was a, an imaginary dog did you have an imaginary dog I just used to pull a bit of wool around the house <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh <laughs> it's, it makes me, if I don't laugh I'll cry uh, <laughs> what colour was wool Sarah the wool was pink because the dog was a girl mm, come on get with it and the dog was called Waffles and I used to just pull it around the house <laughs> 
<laughs> and I think I kind of always wanted a dog. I like that you had an imaginary dog. Most people have an imaginary friend, but you're like, that's too high maintenance. I'm yeah, just going to have a dog. It feels like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had an imaginary dog. Um, I also had an imaginary library. It was a lot, it's almost like I didn't really have anything real. <laughs> I just had only imaginary things. And did you have brothers and sisters? I've got a sister. Yeah. And she's not very animally. She likes Tuvok, but she's not generally very animally. Yeah. I'm wondering which is the best way. Should we head over that way? Should we just go that way? Yeah. yeah. I remember I once explained my sister. Um, my I got some frogs, and I had some frogs in like a tadpoles, I guess, to start with, and then they turned into frogs. They're nice pets. Was tadpoles, aren't they? <laughs> I think you really get a lot back from the tadpole. <laughs> when you can't have a dog, this is what you have to do. You can't, I didn't have any imaginary tadpoles. <laughs> that would have been. So I remember when I was younger having tadpoles. What a depressing pet to have. But you could see them grow. It was really fun, I think. But it, my mum had said that I could breed breed frogs which I guess it's mostly their work isn't it you don't do an awful lot of it yourself yeah. but um <laughs> and I remember telling my sister that I was allowed to breed tadpoles or frogs and yeah. my sister was like and because she didn't she wasn't really animally and doesn't really understand so the way I under the way I explained it to her was that I said it was the equivalent as if she'd been told she could have all of Lady Diana's clothes <laughs> I remember distinctly, and she was like, now I get it. That's <laughs> 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 obviously why she was alive, clearly, a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, so I had uh, rabbits and hamsters and things and budgies and stuff. And then I had two cats when I got married the first time. Yeah. And then I had a long gap where I didn't have any animals because I moved... I lived. I moved back in with my parents after getting divorced, and then I lived on my own in Manchester for quite a long time, for yeah. six or seven years. And there was just no chance because there was. I really wanted a cat, and there was no chance because I was just away from home so much gigging. And you started doing comedy. Oh yeah. That was after. Well, I think you referred to once as the regeneration. Yeah. <laughs> which I really love that phrase, and I really want to start using it about my own life because I think I have my own regeneration. I think it's such a lovely way to refer to. Maybe yeah, things not going be, so well and starting again. Yeah, totally. You know? And you just become a slightly different person, like a better version of yourself, because you do a bit of work on yourself and maybe you have some counselling or maybe you, you know, shag around, whatever people do. <laughs> people have, you get on a stage and talk to strangers, which is what I did. Yeah. Everybody has their different ways of regenerating. So, yeah, so the regeneration. Well, I want to know more first, actually. I want to get onto that, but I want to talk about your childhood and growing up. Yes. And... Your dad was, was he an electrician? Yeah, he was an electrical but, engineer. Electrical engineer, yeah. Electrical yeah. Engineer, yeah. yeah. Because he hates it if you call him a miner, which yeah. we sometimes do for, for jibs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, electrical engineer. Philip. Yes, indeed. And your mum, and they're quite, and your mum, was she sort of a homemaker? Was yeah, she, she was a hairdresser to begin with. And yeah. then because she had polio and couldn't, for a long time when she was a kid, she couldn't stand for very long. So she didn't get to be a hairdresser for very long, sadly. But then... Uh, yeah, she she had my sister and then me and, and uh, became a homemaker indeed, and a mum. And would you describe your childhood? Was it happy? Yeah, oh my God, yeah. Like like rubbish for stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks. Uh, you had to create your own Yeah, I had to get married Disasters, yeah. <laughs> it's just, thanks, it's mum and dad. Whenever they leave you to do your own stuff, like my mum, they would always say, uh, they'd pay, even when I was working part-time, they'd pay for bras, glasses and shoes because they were like the key things and then when you work full-time you had to take that over yourself and that was when I started to like f up my feet because yeah. I would buy like shoes that were on hangers you know <laughs> as I put you know <laughs> do you know what I mean like they go to like 
Dorothy Perkins, I top shop yeah. with them when you get the shoes that are on hangers. Yeah, oh, they're I not. Know those. They're not as good as the shoes my mum and dad used to buy me that you had to get like properly measured for and stuff. I think shoes on hangers is a real benchmark, isn't it? So when you graduate from those, you're like, oh, I don't have to buy shoes on hangers anymore. <laughs> yeah. I can get the ones in boxes now. The ones Ooh. where sometimes you just see one of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. And one's in a special. You've got to trust them <laughs> in those shops. Oh, what have you eaten? Dog. That's making you cough. See Tiny dog. dog. Come on. Oh, there we go. So yeah, and then were you, again, I remember reading, I think you talked about this, about your dad was, he was affected by the miners' strike, mm. wasn't he? So yes. did that mean sort of belt, tightening your belt and... Oh yeah, yeah. We, we had £11 a week to survive on. It was obviously not the same as £11 now, but yeah. not much more. So I was at like free dinners and stuff at school, which I loved. I loved it because the school dinner ladies felt sorry for us. So we always got cuddles as well. <laughs> so we got seconds because they knew that was our main meal of the day. And, you know, not, not, not the only meal of the day, but they knew yeah. there wasn't much money for food. So we always, if there's any left, left over, they gave it to us. Yeah. And uh, me and the, the one other girl in my year whose dad worked down the pit. And, um, and we always got cuddles after dinner ladies, which was great. Because the dinner ladies have got the best arms for cuddling. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah, they do. Um, I'm trying to cultivate some dinner yeah. lady arms myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, people, nobody ever shies away from a dinner lady, do they? they always, you always gravitate towards a dinner lady. Yeah, so true. You don't ever say, oh, that dinner lady, she was really cold. No, <laughs> no. They always smell a little bit like sort of gravy or custard, ideally yeah. both. Yeah. And they've always got good arms, good cuddling they arms. They do. And always three inches of hair growth, which I like. <laughs> so did you, and so that's nice then. So I get the impression then you didn't feel kind of embarrassed because you had no money or other. Do you know what I mean? No, no. I think it was... Probably clearly, there was it was a lot harder for my parents than it was for us because they were the ones that were sort of must have been kind of panicking in the background quietly while we were sort of having yeah. free dinners and getting cuddles after the dinner yeah. ladies, and it was hard. But I think it's it's one of those things that can either break a family apart or bring them together. Yeah, we should go that way because I think that's kind of tense and stuff. I don't know what that is. So I think it kind of brought us together for sure, and I learned the value of money, which. God, it's so vital. Do you think that's how you learnt it? That's interesting. Yeah, what, of course. During I that think period. you learn it by having none of it. And you learn what you can manage without and what you can cope with. Yeah. Uh, and so I think you sort of know that if you ever go back down to being sort of pretty much destitute we were then, then you know that you can manage and you can, you know, there's things you can do to, to on the cheap to, to survive and stuff. So yeah, I think it just, uh, uh, my parents were very good on the value of money anyway, because like at Christmas, they didn't just, we didn't write a letter to Santa and then just have everything we wanted. They, um, they used to um, tell us an amount. So they would send money off to Santa. So we'd still write the list of things that we'd like off Santa, yeah. but it would only go up to the value of the amount that they told us. So sometimes that could be, you know, 50 quid or 100 quid or whatever. Yeah. And it meant that that was whatever. We knew that mum and dad were sending. So basically, Santa was like a personal shopper rather right. than... <laughs> he wasn't making the toys. He was just saving me mum and dad from the shop. But it meant that, you know, we thanked our parents as well as Santa when yeah. we were little because they'd earned the money to buy the presents. And I think that's... So you were sort of conscious of that? Yeah, well, it's much better than sort of saying to kids, oh, have you been... Like, it's measured on how good you are. Because if, yeah. if kids are really good but the parents don't have much spare... And that's a really I'm complicated all, like, lesson for a kid. With that. I always struggled with, it, struggled with he knows that you've been bad or good. Yes. With Santa. Well, so, well what about been, if your dad's lost his job? Exactly, and you've been perfectly well behaved. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work that way. So it was, they were very keen on 
making sure we need a value of money. I'm very grateful. And then for. I get the sense of your life going in quite a, I mean, not the direction it's gone in now, because you worked in sort of civil service, weren't you? Yeah. And you got married, and then and you I had the regeneration. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was sort of done. Like when you're married, you're Did like, you? well, that's me done then. And then I could concentrate because I really wanted to be a writer, so I could concentrate on the writing because I'd sort of found a blow, got a flat, <laughs> got a job, um, and and then obviously it all it kind of <laughs> came crashing down around my ears. And um, was that a shock when that happened? Yeah, a complete shock, total surprise. Yeah. I like using the word shock rather because surprise just sounds like he burst out of cake, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't love you anymore. Oh, this is not how I like cake. <laughs> so shock is a better word. You're, you're right. Because sometimes people say, "Was it a surprise?" <laughs> like, I mean, I surprise. don't like surprises. There was no party poppers, <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, and it just, and I did have that. I think. I just hit rock bottom. I think everybody does when something yeah. like that happens. And I think it's, looking back, it's sort of good for you to have at least one of those in your life because then you value things more and yeah. um, and you, it's good to see things from different angles. You shouldn't always be looking down on things. You should sometimes be looking up and going, oh, you know, it would be nice to be there, but I'm not there yet. Yeah. Um, and then I just had to go on stage, <laughs> told them all about my <laughs> relationship nightmare. And they laughed and I thought, oh, and it was that weird thing of, like, he doesn't love me, but 50 random strangers do. <laughs> yeah. And it was very much, it was very cathartic, certainly for the first six months of stand-up. It was maybe even longer. It was very much um, therapy of sorts. Really? Yeah, completely. And did your dad, didn't your dad say something at the time? Which oh, yeah. <laughs> was quite one of those things that only your parents would say. And you go, Dad, I can't believe you said that. And then it turned into this really key line in your stand-up. Yeah, it was the first, so when I did my first five-minute spot, Nobody laughed for the first two and a half minutes. And then I did a joke about my dad, and it was just that he'd said, I was like sitting on the floor crying in their house, because I moved back in with him after getting divorced for two, two and a half years. And he'd said, you're bound to be upset, you've lost everything. And then he paused, and then he said, you've got nothing left. As if I was like, I don't understand, Dad, explain a bit better. And it was so hilarious, not at the yeah. time, it was brutal at the yeah, time. Yeah. But it was so hilarious that I thought, well, I'll try that in my little five minute spot. And that was the first joke that got a laugh. And I think while other people might have finished that set and gone, oh, I'm never doing that again because it was painful. Yeah. I just thought, well, that joke's obviously got to go to the beginning, hasn't it? <laughs> because the stuff before it is clearly shit. So that's interesting, Sarah. You always thought like a comic then, without realising it in a way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? In the way that that Nora Ephron, everything is copy. Yes, you know. yes. Well, like, my, like Gary had said ages ago um, about... That's my uh, partner, David Furnish. <laughs> my partner, David Furnish. <laughs> said ages ago about, like, that my family are all... Like, my dad, when he tells a story, will put the funny bit at the end. Nobody's taught him that. It's just how he is. So that's clearly where I get the kind of storytelling side of it. And I get, like, the rude and the dog from my from my mum. Yeah. She, she used to say, you're quite coarse on stage. And you're like, mm, uh, I know where I get it from, though. Yeah. And now we're heading back towards the car. Should we go? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not done with you yet. Where should we go? We could go. Oh, did we just go down there? We've basically done a big square. Where should we go now? We could go past the car park and head off that. Oh, way. yeah, let's, let's do, do that. that. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, so, cause I'm, um, so during that time then, did you decide, did you ever have therapy at all? Yeah, of course. Uh, I say, of course. <laughs> but it's I ask everyone I do this with that. And I know oh, no, I'm, I, I'm turning into some weird on the psychiatrist's couch, but I'm just fascinated <laughs> by people that choose to have it and why, because I have it and I'm quite passionate about it. And well, I really wanted to, come on, darling, I really wanted to be um, sort of, I wanted to kind of get 
fixed for want of a better word yeah and i didn't fancy medication and i was clearly a very sort of low ebb um and i really want i thought because i like talking and i like talking things out so i tried uh, counseling and it took me a little while to find the right one sorry he's yes. he's um washing line in you sorry because the first one wasn't a good fit and then the second one was better and it was part of the civil service that you get a certain amount of sessions for free okay so i could have them in my at work yeah uh, and i was very open about it at work anyway and they all knew i was like crying in my tea a lot of the time anyway um and then Isn't that terrible <laughs> when that happens and you just think if i can get through the day without crying it's oh, that I don't kind know. of break i don't see it like that at all don't you? i think crying is really good for you yeah. and really healthy yeah and it took a few people to sort of point that out to me early days because i think i was a little bit like that like oh i haven't cried for two days yeah and i think that's i think if you need to cry you cry because then it's like a release valve isn't yeah, it and you feel yeah. much better after that yeah I think it's often the way I cope with things is to have a bloody good cry. Yeah. And then I feel better and able to carry on with whatever it is, be it personal stuff or work stuff or whatever. Um, but I always feel that it's... I never punish myself. Like, I never think, oh, I cried today. I always think, you know... I always think it's... I see it as a positive thing. Yeah. As a way of getting stuff out. I had a counsellor once who said that crying was talking without words. I love that. Isn't it great? Yeah. So you're sort of seeing stuff that you can't actually verbalise, you're just saying it in a different way. Well, sometimes like, you're going, I just... Uh, <laughs> Maybe she just means she can't understand me when I'm crying. That's what it is. You're talking in a weird Game of Thrones language. <laughs> That's why. The therapy thing, yeah, it just helps yeah. to talk to someone, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think I have a theory that um, we're all a bit f***ed up, but those of us who are less f***ed up are those of us who've seen a counsellor. Do you think um, so? Yeah, completely. And I also think, like... Like, I get my car checked out regularly. Why wouldn't I get yeah. my brain checked out every now and again? Yeah, yeah. And it really helped when I was getting divorced because it put me in a position where I sort of knew how to fix myself. And also, I knew that if somebody nice came along, I didn't want to be in, like, a mess. I wanted to be, like, ready and maybe able to have a relationship again. Did you take time, o- time out between your last relationship and meeting Gary? Did you take time? Did you think... Yeah, I think I don't so, wanna, yeah. I want to sort of... Like you uh, say, just work on myself for a bit. Yeah. And then I met Gary quite early on in the stand-up. He was, he was at my second ever gig. Yeah. And I was doing the open spot and he was doing the open in 20. And did you like him from the minute you saw him? Yeah. And he was, I mean, he was the funniest person I'd ever seen. And he said, the first words he said to me were, you rock, which is nice. Because um, I just had a really good gig, guys. Yeah. Uh, so, and it was lovely to... I think it's really nice to, to be with somebody who has the same job. Yes. Because, like, for example, I'm working tonight, he's working tonight, and we'll both get in and try and have some, like, food before we go to bed or whatever. Or it's just, like, I once said to somebody when we moved in together that it was really nice to have some way to end our days. Yeah. And they thought, it, I meant, like, a suicide pact. And I was like, no, I meant, like, an episode of Frasier and some toast, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they were like, <gasps> and I was like, no, not suicide. <laughs> Just, you know, bedtime. So it seems like you two have such a nice relationship though. Yeah. And you didn't move in together originally, which I really like, and I oh, think no, that's quite healthy. <laughs> we, were out, we, went together, we were out together eight years before uh, we moved in together. And why was that? Well, he'd never lived on his own, I'd never lived on my own, and, and we both just sort of needed it and wanted it, and I think it was good to have that... And also, I think people think that means you never see each other, which is not 
strictly true. I think I've trapped us in a garden. Uh, <laughs> oh, we could go that way. Let's go that yeah, way. Um, and <laughs> I thought you were talking about your relationship with Gary for a minute. <laughs> it's a great. I trapped him in my garden. <laughs> Maybe you should trim it a bit more often. Uh, <laughs> uh, That'll be his autobiography. Trapped <laughs> in the garden. Trapped in Milliken's garden. Um, but yeah, I think we just both wanted to like kind of make sure that it was good and also I think oh like I was saying people don't think you see each other very often yeah and you do because we're both on the road so anytime he was anywhere up north he'd stay with me in Manchester yeah. and he lived in Birmingham at the time so anywhere he uh, if I was in London I'd go back to his and yeah you know it was it just made a lot of sense and we still saw each other a lot but you still got to have those those nights where you just watch you know 17 episodes of Sex and the City yeah and don't have to check with anybody else if it's okay yeah. so it was good to have the the nights together and the nights apart which we still sort of have because we still work away a lot and so you've got but now that's quite nice though so you had that period and then you moved in together yeah and it's almost like it seems quite a good way around of doing it i think because you know people move in together really soon and then it's all it is is a series of nasty surprises yeah whereas that just feels like well i you sort of do get to know someone pretty well after that yes. period of time i still think they're in on better behaviour when you don't live together than when you live together. I think the, the walls do come down a little bit. So there were still, nasty is probably too strong a word, not nasty surprises, but there were some surprises. Well, just to do with day-to-day -day living. Yeah, just sort of cleanliness, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> you forget that boys don't, they don't have it as high on their agenda as women do, yeah, I think, generally. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But no, but it's great because like, I don't have to take bins out anymore. Oh, so and he does all that. Yeah, it's great. He calls it bin management. He seems to think it's more of a job than it is, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also I get to do his washing, which sounds not very feminist, but he would regularly leave his clothes in the washing machine for sort of a couple of days. And obviously then they'd smell of bins. Uh, maybe just like the bin smell. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so now I get to make sure that his clothes all smell nice, which is good. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> and when you and post part of your regeneration, obviously, as well as meeting Gary, was... Um, your career, mm. which just took off in a way I, I expect you couldn't have imagined. I mean... Yeah, it was quite something, really. I mean, was, you know, I always um, like to emphasise the amount of work because I think sometimes people think that, you know, it, oh, just you're just lucky. And you think, no, the thing that I'm lucky at, I think the luck comes into the fact that the thing that I'm good at is, is something that not everybody is good at. Like, if I was really good at, like boiling eggs like if that was my main skill and it was I, I don't know how I could monetize that yeah. that well <laughs> so that's the look the the success I think comes from like being good but just working your arse off and just you know I don't get invited to things anymore because <laughs> because so many years I wasn't I was invited and said no because I was working so really? there is yeah so I think what you mean just you stuff put everything yeah. you put everything second everything second yeah to work but it's really easy to do that when you love your job. It's not like I was working, like I didn't do that when I worked in the job centre and shops and things. I would clock off and, you know, be quite happy to not go back till the next morning. But it's really hard to clock off when you love your job. And do you feel that? Do you feel in a way with your job as well, you are kind of always on? Because everything is oh, material. Oh, no, like massive long periods of time when I'm not funny. <laughs> um, I'd love it if you decided, right, I'm not going to be funny for six months now. <laughs> My sister once, we went out for like a day trip once and um, and I was knackered and overworked and all these things. Just, you know, uh, it's like I say, it's just hard to clock off when you love it. 
and she said don't worry you don't have to be funny at all today <laughs> it was such a relief oh thank god i'm going to be so boring all day no i think the the harnessing of material is certainly never turns off yeah so every time especially when it's getting around to like tour time and you're sort of scribbling so if i like drop a spoon on the floor i'm like D- was that funny did i do that in a funny way was there something funny about dropping a spoon is there anything funny do people drop spoons is that a thing that people do but i think you just become oh let's go this way oh, you yeah. just become kind of sort of obsessive about what might work and, what, and also the audience decide you know so you try stuff out on stage yeah. and they're the guinea pigs and you do these little new material gigs that i do a lot and you try stuff out and, and the audience tell you which ones are sentences and which ones are actual jokes. Because sometimes you say, oh, you know that thing that we all do? And they look at you like, no, none of us do that. <laughs> no. Oh, OK, we'll not do that one then. Well, I think you're one of those comics who you announce a tour, which you have just done, actually, at the yes. time we're recording this podcast, which is going to be, is that, when does that start then? It starts in January. Yeah. Our producer's going the, um, the cattle grid oh. way. <laughs> I can tell you, I haven't got your heels on. He's a bit like that. <laughs> but yeah, with something like that, you know, you're someone who announces a tour and you don't, do you worry still about... Yeah, oh my God, yeah, what if nobody comes? Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the day they went on sale, I just felt sick all day <laughs> because you know that at some point you're going to be less popular. You know that it's just a natural progression of things. Yeah. You know that, uh, and, and that's the day that you find out, are you still going up? Are you plateauing? Are you going down? Is it, if it's a downward incline, is it slow? Is it fast? Has yeah. literally nobody sent you a message saying they've bought a ticket? Yeah. It's t- utterly terrifying. Yeah. Utterly terrifying. But then they sell them well and I can relax a little bit. But I basically, it's like low level worry until the tour's finished now. <laughs> because, like this, I remember on the last tour, there were loads of venues were like 70% sold out and 80% sold out and it was ticking along really well. And then you've got someone like like Jersey, <laughs> which I'd never played before. Yeah. It was on like 5%. And I was like, come on, Jersey, why are you taking so long? Yeah, because presumably so you can get back <laughs> how they're selling in which areas and all that. Kind oh, of yeah, stuff. I get a weekly sales uh, report. You know, is that from your dad, that kind of determination? Uh, yeah, or is I that guess from, from your mom? both of them, maybe. Is it? Just, well, they've both been ill at various times. And I think that kind of drive to just succeed or to to get on I think probably more than succeed to yeah. just is um it's probably from both of them and I'm just always been like I think the, the hardest thing in life is to find out what you're good at because I think some people know what it is really early on and they're like tap dancing at four and they're yeah. like, well, this is going to be me. And I used to panic. Oh, no, no, this is telling you too much. <laughs> you, know when you, you know when you see in a newspaper, like a local paper, and it's got like, um, you know, Denise is nine and has just won her fourth gold award, the gold medal for tap dancing. And she's got the red lipstick on and the blue eyeshadow. And I used to look and think, I'm not, I was like the same age as her. I'm not, like, I'm comparing myself. I've not done anything. I don't have a single gold medal. I got like... I entered my rabbit into a pet competition and I got a merit for turning up. <laughs> like, that was as good as I'd got at that stage. I love this. You've really panic. Panic. Like, But I used to say to my mum, but I haven't started doing anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, I but think are you was... quite a, I mean, joking aside, are you quite a competitive Yeah, oh yeah, massively, yeah. Are you? Yeah, but I did all the new act competitions in the early days. And some people had said to me, oh, your, your kind of comedy doesn't work with competitions. I think they thought I was too sort of chatty and not like in one-liners or anything, which is clearly rubbish. Um, but I came, so I did Funny Women yeah. and I came second. 
And then I always think second is the best place to be. Why? Because you're well, because if you're first, you sort of feel like done it, nailed it, good yeah. at this, best at this. Whereas if you're second, it's like, oh, you were nearly there. Keep going, keep going, keep yeah, going, keep yeah, getting yeah. better, keep improving. So I came second in Funny Women. And then I thought it would probably be good to compete with men as well. Because obviously, you know, Funny Women is just against other women. So I did, I think I did Three Think You're Funny next. And I came second in that. <laughs> Always the bridesmaid. And then, uh, and then I won the Amuse Moose. And then I came second in the BBC uh, New Act competition. So the winning one was nice. Yeah. But also it was really nice to come second in the other three. Because it showed sort of consistency as well. And that's a really nice... I think the New York competitions are really good for showing industry people that you have potential because industry people are very busy and sometimes lazy and if they can come to one show and see the best 12 people that year in the final, they're going to do that rather than travelling around. I can't believe he's doing a third poo. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm so glad we didn't have that ice cream. (laughs) I wouldn't have had enough bags left. Are you showing off because we're doing a podcast? Another poo. And you're glad that your dog's little as well, yes. My so you don't dog... have to pick up massive, like human-sized toads. Not like size of a human, but Can size I of a human toad. I'm really proud of my dog's poos. <laughs> are they big? They're tiny. Oh, that's so and nice. And I'm proud of how petite they are. You know when people have really small feet and they're going, "Oh, look at these little dainty things." <laughs> I feel I that. No, I'm a seven. <laughs> I feel that about my dog's poos. Oh. If, if I'm in the park and my dog Raymond, who's a Shih Tzu. And if someone sees one of the poos, I sometimes linger around it a bit so they know it's my dog. one of mine. <laughs> See, I'm weird because if he does a, a really big one, that, they're the ones that I'm proud of. The ones where I think, <laughs> I could have done that. Good lad. Look at the size of him compared to the size of me. <laughs> Look at the amount he eats compared to the amount I eat. I think he's going to do another one. I know he's, he's weighing. That's he's just, Well, there's no way anymore. He's just showing his winky things. Oh, yeah. He thinks he's weighing. He should do it because when we first had to, we had to like retrain him. Uh, to wee outside because he did lots of wees and poos in the house and um, we had to sort of remind him of his training because he did remember it all really quickly but yeah. we used to give him a little bit of hot dog every time he did a wee outside and then for a while he would do like four wees but then he would lift his leg up like 12 <laughs> times so he could have another eight pieces of hot dog he's not daft so do you think Sarah I've always thought with your comedy and I'm such a huge fan of your work I really oh, am thanks, and love. I what I love about you and um, what I think why I think you're able to kind of pull things off in the way that you do is because I think you're so warm and there's you've got such a lovely vibe about you and so it makes it all the more satisfying in a way to watch because sometimes you don't see I think it's a bit like a bee in a rose or something you'll come out with some zinger and it's like it, it feels more powerful in a way yeah I think I don't even I think it's because people don't especially when I swear yeah. or if I just say something really rude or shocking um, people don't expect it, especially if they see you on the telly, because you obviously they think you're you're like rooting it up for the tour, right. and what you're doing is sanitising it for the telly. So I I am always rude, yeah. And then I have to make it nicer for the telly, or less rude, or less sweary. Um, and I think people are surprised, pleasantly surprised, when they see when they enjoy a tour show because they've seen me be on a panel show or they've seen me on a chat show, and you think, yeah, but that's not my job. Like they sort of extra yeah. strings to your bow yeah. but they're not I always say stand-up is like the trunk of the tree so all these other things allow, I'm allowed to do because of stand-up yeah. but you always come back to stand-up stand-up's the main oh we're doing a little, little <laughs> have you ever a seen dance. a dog do that before? that he was a dance where his genitalia happened to be a feature of it <laughs> rather than a wee that's all the best dances isn't it? <laughs> I don't know how you dance but I like my genitalia <laughs> to be on show at all times he's doing it again 
<laughs> he's such a character. I'm obsessed he's a proper by little character. <laughs> so tell me about your book as well, because you're writing a book. I've written a book. Have you written? Yeah. Have you written the yeah. book? I've written the book. As I believe, you know why I say written. that. Written. Because I think. um, no, I saw James Harris, who I believe is now called Lauren Harris. Oh yeah. Interviewed on a Antiques Roadshow when he was James Harris. And I always remember he was being interviewed by Floella Benjamin. Oh, takes who had pulled him into their ears. Amazing. Yeah. And I remember him saying, they said, well, James, you're a kind of, you know, child prodigy and an intellectual. And I would go on about his IQ. And then bless his heart, he said, yes. And I wrote in a book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder if it was just nerves. Oh, that's he was so nervous, sad. exactly. Yes. So anyway, you have written have a book. I wrote in a book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what, <laughs> I did think, I did a thing. When I'd finished it, I... Uh, decided to uh, sort of tell my friends uh, so I sent a few people uh, a p- people who'd rightly supported me while I was writing it, just like close friends yeah. and I sent them a photograph that I'd taken of me holding up a piece of paper that said uh, I have finished my book with me doing like a yay face <laughs> and one of them replied and said you realise you've You've you put I have finished by book <laughs> and I was like no <laughs> And it, I don't think any of those friends are going to buy the book because they no. think it's going to be as badly spelled as my <laughs> celebratory note was. <laughs> but is it, and is it an autobiography? Yeah, so it's an autobiography and it has some self-help tips in it. So I've categorised it rather than doing it yeah, like when I was... How to be champion. How to be champion. Yeah, I love Because I think, I think it's important to know that you don't have to be perfect at everything. You can just be good enough. And I was always trying... So champion as in um, how to be good, how to be good enough, how to be... All right, like within yourself. So, yeah. so I didn't want to do it in terms of starting when I was, you know, three and working my way up. I thought I'll do it. So I've done it more in kind of subjects. Mm. So there's a chapter about wearing glasses and a chapter about um, school, a few chapters about school and a chapter about getting divorced and a chapter about starting stand up. And so it's much more kind of. It's easy if you go like, I want something about bullying. <laughs> Which yeah. page do I flick to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you do. Um, but each chapter has some little tips on things that have helped, like quite practical tips on things that have helped me uh, that might help other people. I just think it's, I'm quite, I like to fix things with, within myself. I'm quite practical. I like to say, you know, I've, I'm, I'm struggling with this. How can I sort this out? And, and I thought, well, if I have learned some things, then yeah. why wouldn't I share them and see if they could help other people? And it's very much a little sort of extra thing on top of a, you know, it's pretty standard autobiography, really. And you're quite, I think you're quite an open person, aren't you? Mm, like, horrifically <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> like, like, sometimes she should be shut. <laughs> She's open too much. <laughs> Does that get you in trouble sometimes? Nah. Well, not so much that I care. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it does. Maybe I don't. I don't think so. I think I think people just accept you, don't they? And if they don't accept you, then I'm not really bothered. Also, I think I don't know. The older I get, I I think the happiness is essentially about being as close to the person because we all have that person, whether you're in the public eye or whether you're working in an office or whatever you're doing. There's you're presenting a front to the yes. world to a degree, aren't you? And when yeah. you close the door, the person that you are with Gary is yeah. not necessarily the person that no, you're with, with is, the man in the... It's in almost like a polished version yeah, of you exactly. on stage, isn't it? Because people always think that, you know, at home, Gary and I must just be constantly, like, zinging at each other because we're both comics. And yeah. sometimes we aren't. Sometimes it's hilarious. And sometimes we're, like, emptying the dishwasher quietly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's not... You are... I think you have to be a height, probably a heightened version of yourself on stage. So I think I am... Everything I see on stage, I do 
believe. I don't, you know, everything is true to a degree, even if it's been sort of ramped up a little bit for comedy purposes. Oh, that's a hell of a cough too, but have you seen these little dragonflies? Oh, I'm so pretty. these dragonflies, the little so blue dragonflies. Too what look. Oh no, what have you, what's gone in there that's made you do a little spin? So are you quite an ambitious person then? Less than I was. I think I was, and then I got to the level of ambition I was sort of hoping for. And then you do, I don't have that kind of want to take over the world. I'd yeah. like to, my ambition now is to always be improving, I think. I want, I want to always be better. And I think you have to make sure that your, shows are, your show is better than the last one. And I always want people to think that they've got their money's worth and that they're excited to see the next one. And, and I just, I want to be proud of, you've got to, if you've got to do a show like a hundred and odd times. Yeah. I always want to be, I just always want to be better. I think it's, there's always scope, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. No matter how good anybody is, they can always be better. And I suppose you're, as a comic, that's what I find interesting about comics, is that because every social situation, even when you go and see a movie or something, you're approaching it with a comic's brain. Yeah. Which is quite analytical. I mean, I'm not saying you're sitting there watching a movie going, well, why did they do that? I could have done that much better. No, but I do, like, if a film is rubbish, yeah. my husband and I will have commentary on, which means that we're allowed to whisper better jokes at each other. <laughs> um, ways in which we could have improved the script. <laughs> or just smart-ass remarks. But um, then, uh, and most of the time, hopefully, it's commentary off because the film is good enough, but sometimes commentary goes on. And that is handy, that we're both funny for things like that, for sure. It would be hard if you weren't with someone funny. Oh, God. I don't think I could be. Have you ever dated anyone who didn't have a good sense of humour? No, I don't think so. Not for long enough, anyway. <laughs> Not for very long. I don't... I haven't really got any friends who don't make me laugh. Because really? I just think, well, you don't want to be the funny one when you go out to the pub. You want to be, you want to be laughing as much as you're being funny. I say pub. I don't go to pubs. <laughs> <laughs> Cafe. You don't, you don't drink, <laughs> Restaurant. Do you? No, not at all. Why is that? Um, I used to, and then it used to affect me quite badly. And you know when people do that kind of, they wake up the next day and they're sick or they're, you know, crying, <laughs> they eat a pot of noodle ill-advisedly, and, and then they go, ah, well, and then they go drinking again the next week or next day or whatever. I just, I lost time like that, and I just don't have time. Yeah. I don't have time to, to have a night out and lose part of the next day due to being sick. I don't have time. Well, and I don't I, want to waste, it feels like such a waste of time. I had a taxi driver once and he changed my attitude towards drinking because I kind of rarely drink these days. Was he drunk? Yeah. <laughs> he was having a great time swerving all over the road. <laughs> he, he'd, uh, he said, when you drink, what do you gain? You gain nothing. You, you lose one night and you lose one day. And I remember that. And yeah. I thought, yeah, you lose a whole night. And money as well. Because if you had a nice time, you can't actually remember it. No, that's true. And then the next day you feel terrible. I sometimes, because I'm not very good at relaxing and I wonder if I had a drink if that would be good, but I know that the next day I'll be sick, so I always have that in my mind. So I never, I've had probably the last two alcoholic drinks I had were both at weddings and because they insist you have champagne when you toast or like carver, you can't toast with juice. They don't, they don't like that. I think they think you're being disrespectful. Well, I was going to say, it feels <laughs> like you're not wishing them well on their yeah, journey yeah. together. You're just having like, yeah, like a, like an elderflower cordial. <laughs> it's like you're the bitter ex in the corner. Yeah. yeah cheers. With, yeah, orange with juice. a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the, the last twice I drank were uh, were, uh, were both um, weddings, and it was like an inch of champagne, just enough to do a toast, and look like I mean it, which I obviously did.
With fame, again, you strike me as someone who's, your relationship with fame is, you, you see it as part of your work and that's sort of it. Yeah. Really. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I don't really, I don't want to go to premieres and stuff um, because why would I <laughs> like get all dressed up to be judged by people for what I'm wearing yeah. when I could, you know, and travel, because they're always in London and all that sort of thing, when I could just go to like the local multiplex on a Wednesday afternoon in my jeans with, you know, sweets from the newsagent around the corner. And it just feels not very me. I think, I don't think your personality change when it changes when you become uh, recognisable. Yeah. So look, there's another dog, Sarah. I know, and Tuvok's actually behaving quite Tuvok's well. Tuvok's being awesome. I think he's out of breath. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> we can take you back soon, Tuvok. Oh, bless him. Oh, now he's spotted it. Oh no, see that one's kicking. Actually, now I'm so we, proud. No, it's, I'm so proud of it. It's normally me apologising to everyone. <laughs> I'm so sorry. He's rescue. That's what I say. And then they just excuse all behaviour because he's rescue. Because nobody knows what he's been through. I mean, that dog is making an absolute show of himself. <laughs> <laughs> If they knew this was being, going to be recorded on the podcast, they'd be so embarrassed right now. And two books, it's like he hasn't even heard them. He doesn't, amazing. he doesn't bark at many yeah, people. Sarah. Occasionally, when he barks at a person, we think they're probably like a lizard person underneath. Because <laughs> it's so rare that he barks at a person. He sometimes barks at, b- b- bogs, barks at joggers, but I think that's because he's so unfamiliar with exercise. <laughs> like, he's never seen any of us in those kinds of outfits. Oh, I've got to say, I mean... He had me at hello. I don't know what the dog equivalent is. But you do get that thing with dogs, don't you? I get a real sense of whether I like them or not. And doing this podcast, I meet a few of them. And um, yeah, he's just got a very good energy around him. He's the sweetest thing. He's one of the best decisions I've ever made. And he comes is on it? tour. It's so lovely when he comes on tour because he loves to get in the car. Like, and I don't, I, from what I can gather from friends and stuff, not all dogs are keen travellers, but. He loves getting in the car, he gets in his little crate, he goes to sleep. He loves the services, he loves the service station. Well, it's just covered in all sorts of wee, isn't it? I mean, probably some of it's like lorry driver wee as well. So I love that somebody <laughs> likes a service station, it's well, too much. Sometimes when he's, when he's been a really good boy and he's had to come, like I had to take him to a photo shoot because I didn't have anybody. It's just like being a single parent sometimes. Yeah. And I had to take him to a photo shoot. I had no cover for him. And he was so well behaved. And I had to take him, I took him, oh, he did Cats Countdown. He did out and Cats Countdown. And he's been so Has well behaved. Yeah. So I took him, he was my mascot. Uh, so I took him, uh, don't you dare, whatever that is. It's a huge Tuvok. pile of shit. <laughs> no, no. No, that's like Jeff no. Capes has been to the bathroom. Come no. here. Don't you dare. Oh, you can wait on it. That's all right. Okay. Oh, he's shown it who's boss. I love that. <laughs> the pile of poo that's bigger than him. <laughs> I mean, that's... But, I, but what I do then, if he's been a good boy, I'll take him to like services on the way home, even if we don't have to stop for fuel or anything. Is that his treat, going yeah. to the services? Bloody loves it. Absolutely loves it. I love that he goes to the services. That's like when people go, where are you going to for your birthday dinner? We're going to go to the Ivy. <laughs> Two Volt wants to go to the service <laughs> yeah, station. Absolutely. <laughs> so he loves, um, especially loves to wee and poo beside the picnic tables at Weatherby. <laughs> <laughs> Weatherby services <laughs> on the way up north. Don't you? And do you find on tour, Sarah, are you quite... Um, do you get? Do you sort of miss Gary and do you miss home, or are you just? Is it, you yeah, just got I, into a routine now? I go home as much as possible. Yeah. So if it's, uh, even if it's a decent drive, if I can get home, because I don't go to bed till sort of two. Yeah. So there's no point in being in a hotel at quarter past ten. Yeah. If I could be in in my own bed for two o'clock, so we still yeah. we do a lot of travelling because I'd rather get home as much as possible. And over, I mean, it's basically the tour is basically a year. So you can't you can't go you can't go away five days a week for a year. You go mad. Yeah. But having the dog there does make it less I'm less homesick because he's part of home with me yeah 
and we'll go out for walks at like one in the morning but I have to carry him out of the hotel because if he's on foot he gets so excited that he barks and wakes everybody up so I have to have him in my arms and then I'm standing and people walk in the lift and because there's not a dog on the floor they don't expect to see a dog in your arms and they get a bit and they're usually hammered because you're in a hotel late at night and they're drunk and stare. There was a one man, oh, this is awful. I shouldn't even tell you this. No, 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 you have to tell me. <laughs> in Newcastle, I was walking the dog and this um, young couple, mid-twenties, were yeah. shit-faced and walking past me. And the man went, oh, it's a lovely little dog, like that. And I was like, thank you. And I just kept walking. And then um, she said something that clearly annoyed him. And he said, I'd rather go home with that little dog than with you. Which <laughs> is so offensive. And she went like, oh my God. And then they still, she still went home with them. <laughs> so, well, you know, I guess cock's cock, isn't it? So, you know what you can do. But I love um, that. But <laughs> I don't like to walk being dragged into their relationship arguments. <laughs> we just, I, I heard it very much in the distance as I walked away. <laughs> I but I do that. walk him quite, we walk him because he's got a comics body clock. Like when we first got him, I'd get up at six in the morning because he needed a wee. Yeah. And I'd been gone to bed at three I or something. he's not a comics body clock. He'll get up with us, sort of, I don't know, half, nine, ten. Whatever time we get up, it gets up. And then he'll go for his first walk. Um, and then he goes for his late night walk at anything between one and three, really. And he barks when he comes out the house, like, and Gary always thinks he's saying, like, is anybody else up? <laughs> and, like, there's a, a farm not far from us, and their dogs are out not much after us for their first walk, and he's going for oh, his really? last walk, yeah. But it's lovely, I mean, it's just nice walking around in the pitch dark, you know, and the sky is pretty, and... Yeah, and has that sort of, has it really, you were saying it's kind of changed your life a bit, getting him? Oh, completely. Really? Yeah, well, it's just, like, some t especially during tours, when I spend a lot of time not working like working through the day but not maybe working in the evening so writing yeah. but not out of a night time yeah and i would be on the sofa on my own while the cats go upstairs and play their tapes like teenagers um and now this he's in he's in whichever room i'm in so he's always sitting beside me or on my knee it's a nice bit of company he's a little companion yeah and then when i go when i take him away on tour yes you have you know you've got your tour support and your tour manager and you have nice chats and but then when you go back to your hotel room you're on your own and then i've got him and he just you know, we go out for a walk, we come back in. Do you, you socialise with other comics? Uh, generally. Yeah. Yeah, most, most of my friends are comics. Some of my best friends. Some of my, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an anti-humorist, but <laughs> most of my best friends are comics. <laughs> but we should have to take you back because I'm aware that you've been ages. And I, want to, I mean, we need to get an ice cream as well. <laughs> Um, I always get nervous of the park because I why? think there's just going to be loads of dogs and he hates dogs and I'm just going to be constantly apologising. I did have what? an idea that this podcast might be me, just <laughs> you sort of going, so when you were a kid, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and then rawr, 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 in the background. <laughs> but he's been remarkably well behaved. I think he knows it's been recorded. He's been, he's <laughs> such a, he's such a showbiz dog. Oh, he's, he's turned it on, he's turned it on. He really has. Because he knows. But then um, we always say like, because um, the way we treat our pets, because we treat them because we, you know, they're kids, they're our kids. We don't have kids, these are our kids. And Gary always says, by how we are with our animals, if we ever had kids, they would be fattened in prison. <laughs> well, I think the same with me, with my dogs. My dog's my child, because I don't have children. But you know what, Sarah? I think my dog, my, if I had a child, it would basically be like little Lord Fauntleroy or whatever. <laughs> like it would be so spoiled and unpleasant. Fattened in prison. <laughs> so you just go, yeah, whatever you want to do, babes, just do that. Do um, you let Tubot go on the bed? 
Yeah, he, well, what he does, he sleeps downstairs, his choice. Yeah. Um, and then he comes up about half an hour before I get up and he taps on the side of the bed for permission to get on the bed. I mean, we haven't taught him that. And he does a little tap and I wake up and I go, come on then. And he either little spoons me or he gets in between me and Gary. So he knows to ask for permission before yeah. accessing the bed. I mean, that is the dream. Yeah. So, and we never, we've never prevented him because we had a dog trainer for a while who said, um, oh, you should, um, you should, there should be certain rooms he's not allowed in. And we don't do that. We do, I don't want him to, he's not, it's not like, that's sort of treating them like staff or something, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. no, no, he's, he's the bane. I often well, refer to him as the bane. he's in Milan or whatever, you know him, he's quite strict, isn't he? Oh, yeah. him. And Russell no. Kane, who I interviewed, Russell, what Russell does is he's like, right, I've read the book, I've done, this is how you do it. And he'd read it and he said, you've got to read. And he gave me this book, which was all, and, I, and I, it was too strict <laughs> for me. Yeah, I don't know if Russell does anything about researching it first. He's so yeah, good. I know. He's so good though. And I'd just be like, oh no, what is he? He wants to get on the bed. Yeah, just let him on the bed. I know, I did. <laughs> I did that within like the first few days. Yeah, I was but just also, thought... Russell's got a baby, so maybe it's different when you've got a baby. You know, maybe you have to be more strict. Maybe he knows that it's not his yeah. baby because he's got an actual one. Oh, yeah, we don't have an actual <laughs> one. <laughs> so, you know, we could breastfeed them um, or do anything we like. <laughs> There's nothing in there, but you know, you can have a go if you want. <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> Sorry. I sometimes cradle my dog, and I think, are people looking at this and thinking I'm really oh, no, weird? I hold him, and sometimes hold him like we sing and dance together, yeah. and Gary always looks and goes, oh, the happy couple. <laughs> <laughs> like, we went to see um, we went to see Celine Dion <laughs> and the concert that she's on at the minute. And, uh, she did, and oh, was she that was, good? Yeah, she was great. I mean, you knew she was going to have this um, amazing voice, you know. But she sang a song that was apparently, I didn't know it, a Freddie Mercury song called The Love of My Life. And I'm standing with Gary. I had a bunch of friends of this as well. <laughs> and I looked up at Gary and he looked at me and I said, is that a shame I didn't bring the dog? Because <laughs> I could sing this stuff. And he just rolls his eyes because <laughs> he knows what I'm like. But he is. <laughs> I've dedicated my book to both have Gary you? and the dog. Oh, I'm pleased you've written a book, though. Did you have people asking you for a long time to do it? I imagine. Yeah, yeah. You... like my agent would mention that she'd had chats with publishers and yeah. she'd sort of put them off. Because you know what? She knew when I was ready and when I wasn't. Yeah. And also, I just, I knew it needed time. I knew it needed to have a clear idea of what I was going to say. And that didn't come for a while. And I think that's fine. I think I never, I've never pushed myself to do something I didn't feel ready for. Because yeah. I think you only get one go at these things. If I'd written a book five years ago and it was crap, then people don't go, oh no, have another go. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. just go, yeah, she's not doing any more books. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the same as, you know, when people want to get on panel shows and you think, oh, don't go on a panel show too early because if you're quiet on a panel show, you don't see an awful lot. They won't bring you back in a couple of years when, you, you know, you just, that's you done because by the time a couple of years comes around, somebody else is the new thing and they'll get the booking instead. So it's always good to make sure that you're ready for things. You seem a very well-adjusted person. Oh, do you think so? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, I'm massively. glad somebody thinks so. I don't often think so, but bless you for saying no, that. No, you really are. I know, trust me, I've done a lot of therapy. Have you always been quite sunny-natured? Yeah, I'm quite positive. I like to... I always think it's not about what happens to you, it's about how you deal with it. So I think some people could have, you know, will have got divor gotten divorced and then just everything falls apart and they don't know how to pick it up again. And mine was quite an unusual way. I remember <laughs> telling my counsellor at the time that I was starting to do stand-up. And she was like, well, it's unconventional, but whatever works for you. And then every now and again, I'd say something about my ex-husband or something about the situation. And she'd go, that might work on stage. And she'd like <laughs> point out things that might be jokes, really? which was really helpful. Um, but I think I've always been positive. So if something bad happens, I always think, I think that's why I decided to put the self-help tips in the book. Because yeah. I think I'm very sort of 
proactive, I think is probably a good word. And I always think, well, if something bad happens to you, how can, how can this, you know, like I remember being, oh my God, like 22 or something. And I had a lumbar puncture because I had, had had a headache for a long time. And, and the lumbar oh, puncture wow, came back yeah. clear and it was fine. But instead of thinking, God, this is hurting, I was just thinking, well, now I could write a play about somebody who's had a lumbar puncture. <laughs> I remember distinctly that thought because I was writing plays at the time. And so I always try and look at things positively because I just yeah. think that makes life so much easier. But do you think also that helps if you have quite a, a kind of stable background in terms of, it sounds like your parents were, were provided you with the necessary tools as well. Yeah. Or do you believe that, well, you're just born like that? I think it's probably a bit of both. I think mm. if you're born like that, then it's still attributable to your parents, isn't it? Because yeah. it's genetic. But also I think it is in how you're... How, how maybe what your approach to life is and that maybe that does come from your parents I don't know maybe it's a bit of both you're very kind of prominent on Twitter and you've got mm. loads of followers and how do you find social media do you think it's been a kind of force for good I mean do you how do you use it and approach it do you some have some any... days I wish it was uninvented do you <laughs> but then also some days I wish like emails were uninvented you know when you used to have to like write a letter yeah. or ring a person but then other days I love it it's so it can be so much fun and you can meet people that you would never normally meet and and you know I get to I do like like when I've come off stage and I get messages from people saying oh I've been to see it or it's the best life I've had in ages or you know and sometimes people tell you like utterly personal terrifying things like uh but that you've helped cheer them up like they'll say really? I'm going through a hard time at the moment but yeah. I put your dvd in and it always makes me laugh and that's when you feel sort of like valuable because yeah. it's not really a valuable job it's a bit of a daft job and then sometimes when somebody says they've had a shitty year but they can't wait to come and see you yeah you know that makes you know it makes it all that it's worthwhile but it makes it more worthwhile and you wouldn't get those without social media. I don't think people would email you that. Yeah. I think it's a very quick sort of message. And isn't e it's the good thing with social media. It's easy. Let's go that way. Uh, let's go that way. It's, um, it's easy. And which can mean that people can send you horrible messages really quickly. How do you deal with that if you ever do get horrible ones? I don't get as mean as some people do. I, I get some stuff about my appearance quite a lot. Whenever I've done a teleprogram, there'll always be somebody who calls me fat or ugly or whatever. And the hard thing with that is that they're sort of tapping into stuff that I already think about myself because I have quite low self-esteem and sort of body image stuff anyway, which is well, pretty well documented in my sort of tour shows. Yeah. So that's the hard bit about that. I find it really interesting that whenever I'm criticised, it is about my appearance. Well, I think it's because it's, people have a different sort of a misconception as to what women are for. Yeah. Yeah, you're and right. I think people think people yes, are to be sometimes disappointed that I don't they don't want to fuck me. <laughs> and I think, well, you wasn't it sort of wasn't on the table, if I'm honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ever. And it's like if I can't just be funny, that's not enough. And if people tell me that I, I don't make them laugh, well I think it's odd that they've chosen to tell me, because loads of people don't make me laugh. I don't send them a yeah. message. I hey, still don't mind <laughs> that because I think because it it's when people say you're not funny, and I, I sometimes reply to those and go, no, no, like, like it's literally my job. Like, yeah. I pay my bills this way, so no, you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, what you mean is I'm not funny to you. And I remember Chris Addison, you know, lovely Chris Addison. Yeah. He once said on, on Facebook, um, people are too scared to say something's not their cup of tea. So it's almost like that's not ex extreme enough. Yeah. People have to either love you or hate you. They can't just go, mm, not for me, because it's not attacking yeah. enough. Because it's quite an alpha job, what I do. I think sometimes people feel a bit like they need to show me that they can do it too yeah. so like that's when people shout out and try and be funny 
doesn't happen that often. My audiences are generally very supportive, but sometimes somebody will shout out and you think, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're giving it a go, bless you. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's going to take you a good 10 years to get where I am, but you know, because yeah. <laughs> that's how long yeah. it's taken me. But absolutely, if you want to keep trying. There's a guy shouted out a new material gig and he was just, he wasn't being mean, he was just trying to be funny. And I always tick and cross my new material. Like, I tick yeah. them if they laugh and I cross them if they don't. And um, he tried a joke at me. And nobody laughed because it was, you know, because it's not his job. Yeah. Like, it's, I'm sure if I went up and, you know, I don't whatever he does, filled a tooth if he's a dentist, you know, yeah. I wouldn't be any good at it either. And um, and I just sort of commented that his new material gig wasn't going as well as mine. <laughs> just, it's quite aggressive. Did you get a big laugh? To be. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you have to be because it's it's that no back down, no sorries, no apologies. You know, you have to be relatively hard skinned because you are going out. It's when you think about it in a kind of sort of base level I am saying to people oh you must buy a ticket because I'm so funny yeah. <laughs> you have to pay yeah. to hear me talk which is really weird but I'm not making them a table <laughs> you know what I mean I'm not like performing an operation I am just saying you know that thing that you do in the pub with your friends I can do that in a theatre <laughs> it's just such an odd job do you get nervous <laughs> yeah always do you yeah it's healthy it's, it's, is it's, it yeah if I would worry if I didn't get nervous I think because if you're nervous, it means you care. It means you want it to go well. Right. And Seymour Mace, you know, do you know lovely Seymour Mace? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I love him. He, um, he said to me once, don't think of it as nerves, think of it as excitement, because it's the same oh, yeah. biological thing that's happening to you. But it's just a more positive approach, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, so you, you have to be nervous until the first couple of jokes are out and they're on side and it's fine. So, yeah, so you don't really get, you get nervous but in a kind of excited way. And, I, you know, yeah. you were talking about the book as well and advice and... Yeah. What sort of talking to younger people? You know, it's always that thing, isn't it? That looking back, I always think I wish I could tell myself so many things. I wish I could say you're great and you look great and stop worrying about everything. Yeah. You know, the usual but stuff that just, you think. Like, I wish I could tell myself that I would like find my tribe because I hate the word tribe, but you know what I mean? Because I think at school I was very, a lot on my own and had a couple of friends, but not many. And I seem to not really fit in. And then you go, oh, when you find comics, like green rooms and on stage, probably green rooms because you're amongst your own as opposed to on stage where you're the one, yeah. is where I realised, oh, I can be utterly myself here. I'm not a version of myself. I am utterly myself backstage with other comics. And that's probably why most of my friends are comics. You can hear the diesel engine oh, but I in the background. And you know what that means, Sarah Milligan? It's, it's safe to have one now because they're going home now. So. Can we get an ice cream? Yeah, totally. And Tuvok's running for the ice cream van. He's not allowed. He's allergic to milk. I know, but I like that because it's like the dog running to the pub. He knows that that's where we <laughs> want to where go. Mom goes. <laughs> I, I love talking to you, Sarah. Oh, and I'm you. Really Thank you so much. about your book and your tour. And um, I think everyone should buy your book. And Thanks. it's called How to Be Champion by Sarah yes. Millican. And can they pre-order it on Amazon? They can if they... Yeah, I'm not a pre-order. Are you a pre-order? I'm not a pre-order. I do pre-order, oh, no, yeah. I worry that I might be dead. <laughs> That's all for this week. I really hope you enjoyed it. And I'll leave you with this doggy thought, which is remember to feel sorry for people who don't have dogs. Imagine having to pick up food that you drop on the floor. <laughs> <laughs>